Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Over the weekend, through leaving my house, there was just a dog roaming the street. This is the press box. Like not in our neighborhood outside. Like four cars pulled over to help this dog, including us. And he just belonged to somebody's house who was outside and had no idea their dog had run out and was in the middle of the street. With Grady and Bischoff. Okay. That's like, an update. On ESPN Las Vegas. <laughs> Good update. Good update on the dog in the uh, neighborhood. Tyler tries to share something with us, and we're so off, put off by it that, like, why are you sharing? Go away. It wasn't even in the neighborhood. It was outside on a busy road. Yeah, those those are the sad ones. Yeah. Those are the sad ones. We yeah. had to, Sarah McLaughlin was playing in the background. We had to scare <laughs> it back to its house. People had no idea. They're like, oh, yeah, our dog's gone? Oh, thanks. Yeah. That was it. That just seems like bad ownership. You're right. No, it was good of you guys. Yeah, that's, we would have done the same thing. We would have done the same thing. It's a smart dog. Yeah. Dumb owners. Yeah, we would have done the Let same the thing. dog own the house. Does it my house. Rory runs the house. I don't know why, but you said that really depressingly. Oh, oh boy. It does in my house. It does in my house, man. Anything he wants, he gets. You? Of course. Is, uh, yeah. is Rory wearing a sweater at the moment? No, he's wearing, yesterday he wore his uniform. Uh, we have to put the uniform on to take him running. Little harness. Is that all the uniform is, is a harness? Yeah, a little okay. harness for the uniform, right. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have a hat on. I didn't know what else. You said what if uniform? he has boots and a hat on? I was thinking there were multiple I, yeah, levels here. I was thinking there was a beret involved. <laughs> yeah. No, we just call it the uniform. He puts the harness on to go running. You ever try to put the little, uh, like, dog boots on a dog? Tried him early with him because uh, of the streets. Did not take for him. Tried, oh. to, tried to bite him off. and Almost just, always a disaster. Yeah, it was not good. You tried him? Yeah, we've tried him with different dogs, and no. No chance. No, no chance. They None don't of like them. Have ever liked them. They don't like them. I did see a dog walking with those boots on the other day. It's kind of confused as to why, but good for them. Do you have sweaters? Uh, not for our bulldog. For our Shih Tzu, we do. Yeah. So It's cold. Yeah, she doesn't like ta- it, though. Gotta, you got to take care of them. Yeah. The first bite. Will Josh Jacobs be the highest paid running back Ooh. in the NFL? I still think, I know I, I, we're gonna hear what you. I still think they're gonna franchise tag him. Um, let me ask this: he, They didn't pick up the fifth year option, right? Does his ability to lead the league in rushing and scrimmage yards, in your mind, change their view of him that much to where these contracts we're gonna talk about make sense? To get ahead of the conversation here, if the Raiders make Josh Jacobs the highest paid running back in the league, McDaniels and Ziggler should be fired on the spot. On the spot. If Josh Jacobs ends up as the highest paid running back in football, it's the worst roster decision the Raiders as an organization will have made in seven years. Worse than anything John Gruden and Mike Mayock ever did. So the reason that that's the question to start the show today is because Joel Curry, who is a uh, salary cap expert for CBS Sports, he tweeted out, if I was repping Josh Jacobs, my first offer would be to reset the running back market more than Christian McCaffrey, $16 million per year after Jacobs led the league in both rushing yards and yards from scrimmage. So the McCaffrey deal, his average salary is just over $16 million. He signed when he signed his original deal in Carolina, it was a four-year deal with essentially two years guaranteed. Now that guaranteed money is gone. The Niners can basically cut him after this year with no uh, dead money, no guaranteed money left doubt. They will. Cause they traded for him, but they could, 
Um, however, the way his contract is structured, his cap it next year is actually only $12 million, despite getting paid more than that. So if I'm the Raiders and Jacobs, you know, you're talking contract extension with Jacobs and his agent says, well, we want what Christian McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey makes. We want the four-year deal, uh, $16 million a year with two of those guaranteed. So we want a four-year deal with $32 million guaranteed. Right. Raiders shouldn't even consider it. Raiders should just tell them immediately, okay, you're getting franchise tagged. That would be so incredibly dumb of the Raiders to give Jacobs that money because what you would be doing in that scenario, you would be a paying Josh Jacobs for what he did in the past, right? Not necessarily what he's going to do. And B, you would be counting on Josh Jacobs to be one of the few running back exceptions in the NFL. How many running backs are there that teams can look back and say, we're happy we paid him. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it Derrick that, Henry that, that and that's level. it? Yeah, Derrick Henry at that level. Like, are the Panthers happy they paid McCaffrey? I guess technically they traded him and got some assets, so so maybe, but not because he's producing for them, because they traded him for assets. So you have to be one of the rare exceptions to be for for it for it to make sense for a team to give a running back that contract. You have to have one of the rare guys, and by rare, it's basically Derrick Henry, end of list. So I think it would be incredibly stupid for the Raiders to give Josh Jacobs that kind of contract. I agree with you. I think, like I said, I think they're going to tag him. And uh, he, I don't think he was gonna, he's going to hold out if he gets tagged. I, I just don't think listening to him. Uh, now, the agent probably has a lot to do with this. We saw what happened with Darren Waller, the quote-unquote, was it the hamstring injury? Um, never really knew what, what that was about in terms of uh, if he was holding out or not. Um, so there might be something, a play there to it. But I don't think he's going to hold out if he gets tagged. Can you imagine if Josh Jacobs has a has a hamstring injury hamstring for the injury. first two yeah. weeks of camp? Look <laughs> <laughs> say, hold on, wait a minute, who's your agent? <laughs> yeah, we've done this before. <laughs> so here's I think this is what the Raiders um, – order of operations should be this off season. The first thing is, is you talk to Jacob about an extension and we've, we've talked about it before. If Jacobs was willing to sign like a, a three-year deal and two millions guaranteed, and it's like seven or 8 million per year, then you sign him to that and you say, all right, you got three years, only 14 or 15 is fully guaranteed. Thank you. That's a reasonable contract that wouldn't really crush anything for the Raiders. Assuming Jacobs wants more than that, because the tweet we're talking about says he should ask for double that, uh, you don't consider that. The second thing you should do is franchise tag Josh Jacobs. And then the third thing you should do depends on how Josh Jacobs feels about the franchise tag. If Josh Jacobs gets franchise tagged and is completely on board, Josh Jacobs franchise tag, all right, I'll play on the one-year deal for $10.1 million. Josh Jacobs is just is running back next year. Everything's great. If Josh Jacobs doesn't want to play on it, if Josh Jacobs is unhappy, if Josh Jacobs will, is willing to hold out, you trade Josh Jacobs. It's exactly what the Packers did with Devontae Adams last year. He did not have a long-term extension. The Packers didn't want to lose him for nothing. So what did the Packers do? They franchise tagged him. And then eventually they agreed to a trade with the Raiders. And then the Raiders threw away the franchise tag, gave him a whole new yeah, deal. Yeah, gave him a whole new deal. If Jacobs doesn't want to play, you franchise tag him, 
and trade him to a team that is willing to pay him. Now, they get something back for him. Obviously, there's got to be a team willing to do that, but I assume there will be a team willing to give at least something up for Josh Jacobs and then give him somewhat of a contract. Not a lot, but generally there is a team or two that's willing to pay a running back in the free agent market. So that should be what they do. They shouldn't let him walk. They shouldn't give him a long-term deal worth a whole bunch of money like Christian McCaffrey, but they should franchise tag him and either have him play or trade him away because I don't know exactly what you get, but like if you can get, if you listen, if you need a second round pick for a running back, you absolutely take it. But like, even if you could get a third for Jacobs, that's probably going to be pretty decent value overall, because you're now getting a third round pick. You're conceivably getting a player you can draft there and use for the next four years without having to pay very much. So that's what I would do with Jacobs. If it was my decision in terms of, roster construction with the Raiders. Yeah, I didn't think about trading him, but I think I would tag him Yeah, and see how he reacts. Tag him and play him or tag him and trade him, I think, are the two best options for the Raiders. Here's another question I have on this. We talked about Derek Carr and Mark Davis being involved in the decision to bench Derek Carr. Do you think Mark Davis is at all involved in this decision? Do you think Mark Davis wants to keep Josh Jacobs around and might influence how much Dave Ziegler and and Josh McDaniels give him. I think Mark Davis is involved in a lot of the major decisions and this would be a major decision. So I think he'd have his opinion about it and I think he'd want to keep him. I just think he looks at a guy who led the league in rushing and scrimmage yards and says, can we replace him? He's about winning in football. And I think his mindset is that if he has a really good player, he wants to keep him. So forcing them, I don't know about forcing them, but I think he'd have a strong opinion to keep them. See, and what I think, if that's how it plays out, where Mark Davis isn't necessarily going to force the Raiders to keep Josh Jacobs, but he's going to let it be known that he wants to keep him or whatever. I think the way that plays out is the Raiders might end up giving Jacobs a contract extension, and it might be worth more money than what McDaniels and Ziegler wanted to pay out. Like like if McDaniels and Ziggler looked at it and said, okay, we, we're fine with giving him uh, 8 or $9 million a year, right? And But Mark Davis says, well, I really like this guy. I'd like to keep him around. Then all of a sudden it's, okay, we're giving him 11 or $12 million a year and a little bit more guaranteed. I feel like that's how that would play out if, as long as McDaniels and Ziggler actually do want to keep him around. They right. might have just been saying all this the whole time because, again, they didn't pick up the fifth-year option. New England for years just churns through running backs. They don't pay running backs big deals. They could very easily have just said, great season. See you later. Like, this is how we operate. This is how you build a roster. And to be honest, I wouldn't criticize them all that much because that's what the NFL is now. I mean, the NFL doesn't value running backs for good reasons. And if they just let Jacobs walk, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I think it'd be letting him walk would be better than giving him the McCaffrey deal but slightly worse than tagging him and potentially trading him. I don't think they're going to let him walk. I think I believe enough that they like him enough that they're going to keep him in some some sort of fashion. And I think it's going to be the tag. Tag makes the most sense. Yeah. Uh, the transition tag, which we haven't talked about, would be interesting because it it kind of makes you a restricted free agent because then other teams could come in and offer Josh right. Jacobs a deal. The problem for the Raiders, though, well, the Raiders would have the ability to match, but like if a team right. came in and offered the McCaffrey deal to Jacobs, the Raiders, the only way to keep him at that point would be to, to match the to match it. So there's, there is a second tag they can use. 
but I think it makes less sense than the franchise tag for the Raiders. So at the end of the day, the franchise tag makes the most sense. Um, if you're McDaniels and Ziggler, how I can't remember what the deadline is for when you have to franchise tag somebody. When is that? Do you, I, it's sometime early. I want to say it's in March, but do you, do you let this go all the way to the deadline for the franchise tag thinking that, Hey, maybe he'll, uh, he'll give in a little and, and take a lesser deal. Or do you just, Hey, he wants the McCaffrey deal. We want to pay him half of that. We're just going to hit him with the franchise tag as soon as we the can. way it's gone with these guys. I think you wait till the end. The way it's gone with these guys in the past and over the last year, so it'll be a pretty uh, somewhat drawn out process. Some drawn out process, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're going to have to deal with the agent and see what they're thinking yeah. on their side before they make any kind of decision. All right, coming up next on ESPN Las Vegas, the Golden Knights had a come from behind win over the Panthers last night. Hey, here's the call. Our review has been determined that the action number seventeen for Vegas ends up putting the quarter player into the net. Therefore, this is an awarded goal. We have a good goal. <laughs> Upon bitter review, it's been determined the play was offside. We have no goal. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Three different goals were reviewed last night in the Panthers-Golden Knights game. Uh, two goals stood. One was waved off because of an offside, like you just heard. What a crazy, crazy sequence there. Do you think Will Carrier's uh, uh, ultimate game-winning goal should have counted? Montour did appear to push appear to push him in. I, I, the puck was away. I think he did push him in. I'm going to say yes. All right. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to so, say hot take. For anybody that missed it, Keegan Colasar played a pass across the ice. Will Carrier is skating towards the net. The puck then hits... A combination of Montour from Florida and Carrier from Vegas. I don't know what it hit, but it hit them and sort of sits on the goal line. And then Carrier ends up taking out Sergei Bobrovsky and the puck goes over the line. They ruled it a goal on the ice. When they reviewed it, they decided that Montour of Florida pushed Carrier enough into him so that he went into Sergei Bobrovsky and it wasn't Carrier's fault that he annihilated the goalie before the puck. Because he did. He, the goalie, yes. Bobrovsky's in the net yes. when the puck goes in. Uh, but they determined Montour was to blame for that, not Will Carrier, and the goal stood. I Yeah, I think it was the right call. I mean, Will Carrier, I guess you can't really know for sure, but Will Carrier probably doesn't touch Sergei Bobrovsky if Montour isn't there. Isn't there. Right. Yeah, right. He's exactly. probably going to stop in and- time. It's probably not a goal. Right. If Montour's not there, it's Will Carrier's probably not flipping that over the right. shoulder and into the top of the net. But Montour was there and created chaos and ultimately the game-winning goal for the Golden Knights. Uh, Carrier up to 11 goals now on yeah. the season. Are they, uh, Dave Gosher said on the broadcast last night it was Carrier's longest stretch without a goal of seven games. I'm like, this is a guy who doesn't This guy's ever. career high was nine. <laughs> Right, and now we're talking about gold droughts for him when, <laughs> for he, William goes, when he goes like two or three weeks without scoring. In the past, like, hey, I might go two or three months without scoring. And now it's two or three. Um, also, big goal last night was Jack Eichel's game-tying goal uh, where he got a little little bit of a cherry-pick goal, got a breakaway, and Caden Korzak made a terrific pass from the defensive zone to get Eichel on the breakaway. He now, by the way, has 15 goals. He's only played in 30 games so far this year, so scoring in every other game. For Jack Eichel. But what a pass. It was from Caden Korzak, too. They win last night. 
Big win, come from behind win. They score three times in the third period. It's not the big story, though, is it? Because Mark Stone, Mark Stone left, the game. left the game. He played four shifts in the first period, then leaves the game, doesn't return. Uh, Bruce Cassidy last night did not have an update after the game, but he said it's never a good sign when somebody doesn't come back into a game. What did we talk about yesterday? We're all healthy. <laughs> I was like, hey, they're getting they're healthy. All, they're all getting healthy and, and then win some games. A, a month down the road, how, how are they going to be if they're all healthy? And what? The, how many points are they going to have? Where are they going to be in the Pacific? And then last night, Mark Stone goes out. It's brutal. And obviously, we don't know the extent of the injury. He could be back this weekend, right? Maybe he misses one game and is back on Monday against Pete DeBoer. Or maybe he's out for a long time. No idea what happens with Mark Stone from here, but it certainly doesn't appear to be the greatest sign that he did not come back into the game. And by the way, um, I was watching on TV. I rewound it to try to see like what happened, what the hell happened to Mark Stone. No idea. Like not none whatsoever as to what happened to Mark Stone. Like there wasn't even like a questionable hit. There wasn't like him skating slowly or grimacing, just, normal hockey off. shift and then all of a sudden he goes off right mark stone's not on the bench anymore and it's like okay and then he doesn't come back so we'll see what happens the other injury updates bruce cassidy yesterday uh said that shay theodore zach whitecloud and brett howden none of those three have started skating again um, seems good right <laughs> so you don't need to skate right about a month ago on December 13th was when Bruce Cassidy gave that quote about Eichel being day-to-day, Theodore being week-to-week, and White Cloud being month-to-month. It's been a month. I don't think we really expected White Cloud back after No, that the way White soon. Cloud went off, I don't know when they expect him back. But Shea Theodore was week-to-week on December 13th. It's now January 13th. That's and four he, weeks. And he hasn't started skating. Yeah. Did his injury get worse, or... I know. I saw yesterday a tweet that said at the fan fest he was off his crutches. Didn't Ooh. know he was on them. <laughs> what if? Okay, so this is me playing conspiracy theory theorist again. What if they are literally holding these guys back so that they're like, no, no, we're waiting until after the All Star break, and this time you're all going to be healthy at once, and we're going to go full tilt. We're not getting injured after the All Star break. That'd be stupid. They're blowing the Pacific Division while they're trying to do that. It doesn't matter who's in first place at the All-Star break. You can always make the playoffs. Or miss them. Yeah, it happens. So, Mark Stone leaves. No injury update yet. Theodore's not skating. White Cloud's not skating. Those are three significant players. I didn't see when Theodore went off. I was at the game where White Cloud went off, and it didn't look good. Yeah. So, if Mark Stone is good to go in the next few days... Eh, not a big deal. Your defensive core is still, you know, you're not playing. You definitely don't have your best six out there by any means, but your forward group is pretty healthy and you've got Petrangelo and McNabb and Martinez and Haig. You're mostly fine there. So we'll see what Mark Stone's injury is. The curious part will be, what do they do with the lines? If Mark Stone is gone, uh, because here's the thing, Bruce Cassidy changed his lines last night. Now Mark Stone got hurt four shifts in. So he had to, well, no, no, he changed his lines before the game last night okay i'm sorry and then one stone got hurt it was whoever's not played in the last 30 seconds get on you're the on ice. the ice so but before the game or to start the game i should say uh he changed up the second and third lines to where william carlson was now playing with phil kessel and they moved riley smith down to play with william carlson 
which meant Marsha So was playing with Jack Eichel, and then it was um, Paul Cotter that was playing with Jack Eichel as well. I, You want to know what my first thought was? They're sending more help with Phil Kessel. Like it's Carlson and Kessel, and then hey, they, they need they need they Riley, Smith, Riley Smith, not Smith Paul Cotter. Come down. And in reality, it's because Riley Smith and William Carlson, they're really good shorthanded, so they're used to right. playing without an extra teammate out there, which is basically what it's like when Phil Kessel's <laughs> on the ice. Oh, basically boy. playing shorthand. Oh, well, and they recently scored on a cherry picker goal, so they just put Phil Kessel in the permanent cherry picker spot. He's not fast enough, though. He'd get oh, caught. yeah, you're right. <laughs> He'd get caught. That'd be the problem. So, like, I, I think... Oh, on the breakaway? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I know. Get caught. I think what we should do, if they keep this line together, Stone's injury is going to change that. But if we have Carlson, Kessel, and Smith, anytime Carlson and Smith score, it should be counted as a shorthanded goal. <laughs> Because Kessel's on the yes. ice with them. Should be they they've already Smith's already got the most in the league this year. If he scores with Kessel and Carlson as his line mates, count as a shorthanded goal. We call it an Eakin. <laughs> Might be worse than Eakin. I know. Might be worse. We're we're getting to that point. Might be a little worse. I can't than wait for the postseason breakdown of you giving everyone going. Anytime you paired anyone with Kessel, their their usage rate went down by forty percent. Carlson's actually the one this year that's been uh, decent with Phil Kessel. So, so he's the Oscar Lindbergh. Yes, he might be the the outlier there. One last thing that I thoroughly enjoyed for about eight minutes last night, the Florida Panthers had a goal. And they did not have an official shot. For some yeah. reason, the the stats, they didn't count Nick Cousins' goal as a shot on goal, um, which is impossible, by the way. And so for about, and then the Panthers didn't have a shot after that for like eight minutes. So we got about nine, ten minutes into the game. Aiden Hill had allowed a goal without facing a shot, which is uh, not. That's, a, that's impressive, actually. It's it's the worst save percentage in NHL history. Is it's what impressive. It is. But also, Nick Cousins had a goal without a shot, which is. The... Is that just the infinity symbol? Right. It's just yes. he's the greatest goal scorer of all time. Um, when I checked last night after the game, I don't know if they've updated it since, they still had not cr- credited Nick Cousins with a shot on goal <laughs> on his goal. <laughs> So, like, they scored a goal without shooting, and maybe they fixed it by now. But after the game was over, they had not updated Who's up there it. on the statue? I have no idea. But it was a goal without a shot, which sounds illegal. Coming up next on ESPN Las Vegas, Amy Trask joins the show. As of today, Tua has not been cleared by doctors to resume football activities on the field with his teammates. So... Because of that, and because of the time that he's missed, I can rule him out for Sunday. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now, former Raiders CEO Amy Trask. You can see her on the other pregame show on CBS Sports Network Sundays at 9 a.m. Eastern and 6 a.m. Pacific. Good morning, Amy Trask. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, Amy Trash joining us now. I'm curious. We just heard some sound there regarding uh, Tua and him being out for this week. And I'm curious from from your perspective. Obviously, the head coaches do the press conferences, and they get a large, uh, most of the criticism when it comes to player decisions and stuff like this. But when it's something like what Tua's gone through this year, how many different people in the organization are involved in sort of decision-making processes on when or whether he plays? 
That's a terrific, terrific question that I don't think enough people have focused upon that issue. A lot of people would be involved. It's different from team to team. Uh, I worked for an organization for many, many years where the owner would have been involved in those discussions and conversations. There are some teams in which ownership would be involved and some teams in which they would not. But absolutely involved are doctors, trainers, uh, the player, coaches, uh, front office staff, they are, they're broad decisions because these are very, very, very big decisions. And I'm not simply talking from a football perspective. How often of that team you worked for, and we know, was that owner involved? <laughs> uh, probably easier to say when wasn't he involved. <laughs> so look, he, look, he's all teasing aside. Al Davis is a Hall of Fame football man. And so when people say to me, well, wow, Al Davis was involved a lot. Yes, he was. He oversaw our football operations, and he's in the Hall of Fame. So very involved in all of the football decisions and a lot of the non-football decisions. Uh, Amy, I'm curious. uh, I don't know how much you you might know about Mark Davis right now and how much he's involved, but what do you think his involvement level is when it comes to decisions like benching Derek Carr for the last two games or maybe even Josh Jacobs and his next contract or if they franchise tag him? Well, I do not know the answer as to how involved he is on a day-to-day basis on each and every matter. But matters like um, the Derek Carr issue you referenced generally involve ownership. Uh, it's not to, if, you know, they don't necessarily provide the answer, but people always consult with them to say, would you like to have input in the answer? I can't imagine any of the teams making the decision with respect to Carr um, without talking to ownership. How much that owner chooses to be involved varies team to team. If we go back uh, to before the Week 18 games when the NFL owners ultimately decided to uh, have the neutral site game in place in case it's Kansas City, Buffalo, there was a potential coin toss between Cincy and Baltimore. Uh, there was, NFL rulebook-wise, there was, you know, hey, if a game gets canceled, you just go by winning percentage and everything proceeds as normal. Why do you think the NFL owners basically voted to kind of change the rules on the fly before week 18 and not just say, hey, game's canceled, we're just going by win percentage, and that determines the seedings and ultimately home field advantage in the playoffs? I don't know why they chose to. Well, let let me back up. It's a unique situation. This hasn't occurred in this manner before. And while the rule book did contemplate the possibility that a game wouldn't be played. This is a unique situation, a unique circumstance. Now, that said, you're absolutely right. They did not need to change the rule on the fly. They could have gone with the rule in the play, that's in place and looked at one another and said, you know what, this wasn't great in this circumstance. Let's adjust this rule after the season. I would have preferred that. I think to adjust rules on a situational basis is problematic. Situational ethics aren't ethics at all. So to adjust things situationally, I think, is of concern. And I also know this. Next time the league is asked about changing any sort of rule midseason, whether an on-field rule, an off-field rule, the answer can't be we can never change rules in the middle of the season. (laughs) Yeah, you can. You just did. So now a precedent has been established where the league can change rules midseason, and it's going to be harder for the league to, in an intellectually honest manner, assert that they can't. Amy Trask with us. Again, you can check out the other pregame show on CBS Sports Network. How impressive has the turnaround been in Jacksonville this year? 
Wow, wow, wow. On the television show you referenced on CBS Sports Network, Tops, last week we were asked to sort of list some candidates for Coach of the Year, and I immediately listed Doug Peterson. There are a lot of coaches who are candidates for that, but when you look at what Doug Peterson did for that organization, he did more than simply turn around the one-loss record. He really fixed a clown show. Um, and maybe that's maybe saying clown show is a little insulting to clowns, given what went on there last year. But I think in addition to changing the trajectory of the team this season, he's also given back something to a quarterback drafted with the idea that he would be the quarterback of the future. You listen to men on that team talk, and Trevor has had his confidence restored. He's blooming. He's growing. So Doug has done more than deliver a playoff berth. He's fixed that organization in many regards. Are you a believer in Brock Purdy? <laughs> Boy, it would be hard not to be right now. Now, we'll see what happens in the playoffs, but he has a swagger about him and a confidence. Um, he also, from my understanding and speaking with people in the organization, tremendous, tremendous work ethic, really, really respected and admired by his teammates in the locker room. Um, I, I think very highly of him. So we talked to you about, you know, ownership making decisions here. The Jimmy Garoppolo will be a free agent. Trey Lance should be back healthy next year, and Brock Purdy's playing well. Uh, how do you think that decision is going to end up in San Francisco this offseason as to who they want their starting quarterback to be next year? Well, I'll answer that in three ways. Number one, and I'm glad you asked again about ownership involvement because I didn't say something that I had every intent of saying strongly. So here goes, man. When you are the owner of any business, you have ultimate authority and ultimate responsibility. And even if you delegate to that to others, even if the owner of a football team says to his general manager or his coach, you've got full authority, ultimately, no, you're the team owner. You have absolute authority, and you can yank back authority from those to whom you delegated at any time. So even when an owner isn't necessarily involved in every decision, he or she has the right and the authority and the responsibility to be involved in every decision. Now, as to your question, I know what I would do if I were the 49ers, and I'll answer it that way first. I would move on from Jimmy Garoppolo for a few reasons. I would see what we have in Trey, and I would absolutely keep Brock Purdy. I always wanted to ask this. What would um, Amy Trask tell Amy Traska 15 years ago? Oh, wow. What a question. Uh, my whole life, um, my biggest insecurity has been my looks, my appearance. And that kept me from doing a lot of things. Look, we all have our own insecurities. That was mine. So when I chose to leave the Raiders and then was contacted about going on television, my first answer was no, 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 no. And I stuck to no for a while until I finally made the decision to take the big jump and to do it. And I'm thrilled that I have. And I think I would go back further than 15 years, but 15 years for surely sure, and tell myself, okay, it's okay to be insecure about your appearance. It's okay to be insecure about any number of things, but you've got to overcome it. And I wish maybe I'd overcome it sooner. Well, she is Amy Trask. Again, check her out on the uh, other pregame show on CBS Sports Network. Uh, we took you a little deep there, Amy, and we appreciate that. Well, maybe I answered it a little too deeply for <laughs> that's a, you. That's perfect. Um, but, hey. You know, it's a message I try to give to, to young women, to little girls, to women of all ages. Um, you know, you grow up and, and you, you look at people on TV and you look at fancy people and famous people, 
and just recognize that people don't look in real life like they look on TV. And remember also, everybody has an insecurity. Less deeper, how's TikTok? Oh my gosh. I, you know, when the pandemic started, I said to my husband, I'm going to do a TikTok. And he immediately mobilized all of my besties. <laughs> and it was the Keep Amy Safe from Herself mobilization. <laughs> they organized a huge group. Don't let Amy go on TikTok. Well, PFN365 just put something I did with Trey Wingo on TikTok. And I got to tell y'all, watch out. Because I'm <laughs> on TikTok now. <laughs> So Amy Trask on CBS Sports Network and maybe coming to TikTok soon. Amy, we appreciate your time this morning. Thank Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was really a treat for me to join you. Take care. Uh, So there is Amy Trask. Uh, Nobody can escape the grasp of TikTok, Ed. You're, You're next. You know that, right? Am I on deck? You're coming. You're going to be on TikTok soon. I don't even know if I download it. Just wait until just wait until Cassie or Heidi is over there saying, Ed, we got to do a video for the Review Journal TikTok. And then you start seeing the little hearts and you're like, Ooh, what are those? <laughs> I have done videos for the Review Journal TikTok. Oh, have you? Yeah, for like... I didn't gra- even know you guys had a TikTok. Yeah, for grades and stuff like that after Raider games. On and TikTok? Not like believe, Facebook or anything? I believe our videographer did say this is on TikTok. Oh, I believe it, I, I believe I'm going to have to find it now. I believe. I'm going to have to find it. I've seen I've seen like Facebook or uh, YouTube, YouTube videos that you guys have done. I, I have, thought it was I, I thought have it not was TikTok. seen you guys on TikTok, I thought but now it was I'm TikTok. excited. And the state of Louisiana and Ohio just banned TikTok from government employees because it actively tracks your keystrokes. You should be fine on TikTok. Just keep it away from your daughter. <laughs> oh, they're on it. Those <laughs> kids are on it. Too late for you're that. Just Too late like, for that. You're just like, where are all these? Why are all these purchases randomly happening through? Too late for that. TikTok Inc. Yeah. All right. Coming up next on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll jump into some UNLV football because Barry Odom addressed Bobby Petrino leaving for the first time. It happens. I I, I don't like it, but but it was the the hand that I was dealt. Uh, it happened really sudden. Uh, it was five o'clock, whatever morning that was, that it ended up, uh, you know, getting the news release that he told me that he had been contacted the night before. Uh, we talked through that, um, you know, and he made the decision that that he wanted to to go ahead and take the job. And then immediately from that point, I got in touch with our current team to let them know, um, and then went full steam ahead on trying to find the right fit for us moving forward. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. That was new UNLV football coach Barry Odom. Talked to the media yesterday. Uh, That was him addressing Bobby Petrino leaving uh, after getting hired uh, with a three-week stint in Las Vegas. The first thing I would like to point out, Barry Odom said it was the hand that I was dealt he kind of dealt himself that well, hand. Well, he, he hired him. Right. Like, I no, think, I think, him. I think Barry Odom was just sort of, uh, sort of got set a cliche in the middle of it. I don't think he actually right. sort of meant, oh, the world is out to get me because of this. That insinuates he was on the staff before, when you got there. Right. And you, and you, someone said you have to keep this right. guy. Uh, no, you dealt yourself no. that hand. You, and we all talked about it when he got hired. What is Bobby Petrino known for? Leaving, Leaving in a hurry. And right. he left in a hurry after getting hired here. But my question, how do you think Petrino told Odom? Uh, in terms of calling him at 5 a.m.? Well, or the night before? I, I assume that Odom heard something and called him. So the reason I ask is because, like, when Barry Odom 
left the Atlanta Falcons. He left a Petit- Bobby oh, Petrino. Bobby, excuse Petrino. me, excuse yeah. me. When Bobby Petrino left the Atlanta Falcons. He left the note. He left a note in all the players' lockers. Uh, you know, so maybe did Bobby he- Petrino was finishing up the note when Barry Odom <laughs> called. I'm <laughs> uh, just curious. Just curious how he did it. Uh, maybe send him a DM on Twitter because it's you know. It's 2023 now. We can uh, do this digitally. We don't have to leave. Petrino is a notes. Twitter guy. Yeah. He keeps, he keeps tweeting pictures of his grandkids and stuff. So he's on Twitter. He keeps tweeting stuff. So a little curious there. Um, oh, think about how weird those grandkids, once they get to the internet and type in grandpa's name. <laughs> Not great. Um, one other uh, note from yesterday's press conference. Uh, Barry Odom is all in on this recruiting Las Vegas high yes, schools. Yes. Because he... He gets yes. hired. His opening press conference mentions Talks it multiple it. times, right? Has mentioned it since then. And yesterday when talking to the media, he said, tomorrow, speaking about today, is the first day all coaches can recruit and the, all of their coaches are going to Las Vegas high schools mm-hmm. today. So the first open day for all assistants and everything to be able to recruit, they are focusing on let's go to Las Vegas high schools. Let's meet Las Vegas high school coaches. Yep. Player, I don't know exactly how you get to meet the players. Whatever the situation is, we're going. I'm listen. I'm still kind of blown away as how big of a deal it is for him to be to have a presence with Las Vegas high schools. Like that is, I'm. It's to the point where I feel like when Eric Harper hired him, he said something like, "Listen, I don't care how many games you win next year, but all the high school coaches better know you." After Marcus Arroyo. Right. Like, it, it's almost gotten to a point where I feel like this was the number one priority of the new head coach. Not wins and losses. Just go visit some high schools for once. And don't send any dudes to go talk to the media privately. <laughs> so, they're apparently, they're probably at high schools right now, I would assume. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't look. I don't <laughs> mind it. It's it's fine. You go get, you, you, if you can get good players out of it. But you and I have talked about this before. And off his opening press conference, I wrote about this in terms of him going locally, and that was great. Had no problem with it. But we've talked about it before. If you win, and it's the same with Kevin, Kevin Kruger in basketball, if you win at a high level, they're all considered local. Fans love them all. Yeah. So whether a kid goes to Bishop Gorman or he comes from Texas, if that kid comes and is a great player and they're winning games and going to bowl games, they're considered yeah. local by people. Question I didn't ask you yesterday when we talked about Brennan Marion and the go-go, go-go. offense. How attractive is the offensive coordinator job at UNLV? Well, I mean, it's attractive for him. He took the he took the job. I don't know if you're saying I don't know if you're asking if they're lining up for it or if they would leave if they had another job that they thought was better and it wasn't a coordinator job like a position coach job and you know they're at a power five making as much as he's going to make as the coordinator. Um, but I think it's. I think it's attractive in terms of for this guy to coach with this guy, you're going to have full control. So that's so, okay. There's been two offensive coordinators hired already by Barry Odom. One was Bobby Petrino, who then immediately got a better job in Texas A&M. But it was interesting because Bobby Petrino left a head coaching job. Now it was at a lower level, but he left a head coaching job, took a $25,000 pay cut and became UNLV's offensive coordinator. Didn't last long. He's at Texas A&M. He's probably making a million dollars. But then they hired another guy, and it's Brennan Marion, who was a position coach at Texas. Texas. I have not seen his new salary here at UNLV, but if he gets the same that Petrino got, I believe, I believe he's taking a pay cut as well to come to UNLV and be the offensive coordinator. 
And that to me sort of stands out as like, did Barry Odom really hire two guys in the same offseason for this position? And they took a pay cut to do it in Petrino and then Brennan Marion. And you look at the, you know, reasons behind why Petrino took it because he wanted to be back at the FBS level. And Brennan Marion, like you just said, might have taken it so that, hey, I'm not the wide receivers coach of uh, what Steve Sarkeesian's offense. I'm the offensive coordinator. I get to determine what plays run. I'm not implementing somebody else's system. This is my system I'm putting in place. And I ask how attractive it is because I feel like Barry Odom's done a good job hiring that position twice in one offseason, which would make it seem to be an attractive position. And if you take that position, you get up to two nationally televised games a year. So, I and think, if you and by the way, if you if your offense is really good, and you win and go to bowl games, you'd be in line for a job. I think probably not. You don't think so? I mean, well, maybe you'll be in line for the UNLV job because if Barry Odom wins yeah. games and goes to bowl games, maybe he'll take a job, and you, as the offensive coordinator with a great offense, might have a shot to get the job. I think if you take the UNLV offensive coordinator job, thinking, oh, I'm going to get a head coaching job offer or a better job offer somewhere. I think that's foolish given the history. I mean, the head coaches here don't even get jobs somewhere else. Well, we're going to have to see because if he's really, really when good. When was the last time a head coach was successful? Well, well yeah. That, that's the, yeah, that's that's the best point. But if he's really, really good at a school that's never won before in any kind of consistent manner, I assume Barry Odom will get some offers. Probably. And then, But if you're the offensive coordinator, you have to wait for the head coach to get the offers. Right. And then you're next Take in line at, the, yeah. at a place where that never happens. Does not happen where the coach takes a better job.